And we're going to begin a brand new series called Standing Your Ground in a Culture of Chaos. You know, we're living, you would agree, in a season of chaos and disorder, both nationally and internationally. No doubt about that, right? Chaos. It's all around us. Everything seems to be in disarray. I don't like, personally, disorder. I don't like stuff broken. I don't like stuff that hadn't been fixed. I like order. By the way, that's a God attribute because God says He's not the God of disorder, confusion, but of shalom, order. So God set everything in order. Aren't you glad we don't have to? I wonder if the sun's coming up today. Yeah. I mean, He put order in everything. We can count on it. We can plan by it. So disorder is certainly not the will of God, but it happens to all of us occasionally. So I, I hate moving. The, anybody know what that's like? I mean, you feel like the real purpose of your life has been put on hold. I mean, I'd rather lay down and let a truck run over me than have to move. And then you got to move in after you've moved out. You talk about stress, right? Anybody move lately? Yeah, well, I mean, would you agree with me? Talk to me. Yeah, it's, it's awful. I mean, menopause wouldn't even come close to approaching the stress of moving. I don't know where that came from. I'm married. I don't know. You know, in this season, this series, sorry, we're talking about developing an immovable quality of character, becoming the kind of a person who is solidly planted in your emotional life, your spiritual life, and your purpose in life, so that no amount of chaos can shake you up or move you. In the Psalms, here's what David said, God alone is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. That's Psalm 62, verse 2. I like that phrase, greatly shaken. That's where James Bond got his statement, shaken, not stirred. No. My wife, I'm feeling kind of frisky this morning, so bear with me. I don't know where we'll land. We got to James Bond out of Psalms 51. Who knows, who knows where we're going to go? Buckle up. Well, so what I'm trying to say is we may get a little bit rattled from time to time. All of us, we do. You know, sometimes the ground may move underneath our feet and cause us to take an extra step to kind of gain our balance. But when God is your rock and your fortress, He promises, you will not be greatly shaken. That's good news. And that, in a nutshell, is the theme of this entire series. So if you want your life to be immovable, unshakable, then build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him be your rock, that's solid, and your fortress, that's your defense. So how do you do that? That's the question we'll be answering throughout this entire series. We're going to look at the different kinds of chaos we all encounter, and there's more than one. <clears throat> and we'll look at how to deal with each one. Let's talk about the worst kind of chaos today. That's the chaos we create all by ourselves. We don't need the devil's help. We don't need anybody's help. We did it ourselves. And I'm speaking like you from experiences. When I look back over my long life, when I look back at some turbulence I've been through or been the most shaken, rattled, and rolled, it's been the result of some bad choices I made, some bad decisions I made 
in my past. Now, sometimes there are decisions based on lack of wisdom. You didn't know. Sometimes there are decisions based on foolish, willfulness, stubbornness, and the Greek word for that is sin. I just did it. Anybody, if I ever get a ticket on 281, I did it. I never said, well, officer, I had no idea I was driving out. Yes, I did. I knew full well how big, I, how fast I was going. At least I'm honest. I was a willful sinner, but I'm honest about it. Yes, sir, officer, I did. I'm sorry you caught me, but I'm guilty. And they don't know how to handle that. Ask my wife. That's how it is for most of us. Most of us, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, the chaos in our lives is self-induced. It's our own creation. I saw a sign recently that said, everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is you make bad decisions. Come on, right? Yeah. That might not be the most diplomatic way of saying it, but it sure is true. When our lives become chaotic, we each have to own up to our role in the chaos we've created, or we'll just never get better. So let me talk to you about a character in the Bible who created major chaos in his life, and I'm talking about King David, whom God called a man after my own heart. This is the King David who took down Goliath, who established Jerusalem as the capital of his kingdom, who led Israel into victorious battles, and who wrote most of the book of Psalms, including one of the favorite, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that great leader, King David, did stuff that would curl your hair. These guys in the Bible were not perfect, were not total saints. I know we put them in stained glass windows, but if you'll read about all of them, you'd rather have your mother-in-law in a stained glass window than some of these guys. They are real characters in the Bible. I'm serious. If They give me encouragement. I feel like, sheesh, if these boys can be in there, I got it made. You know. So it, be- it begins late one afternoon, and David's taking a, wa- a walk around the roof of his house. Now, that seems strange to us in our American culture, but not back then, because houses of wealthy people had large flat roofs that were built, and they had gardens in them. They had tent coverings. They were quite opulent. In the winter, they had fireplaces as well. And David took a walk on the roof of his house, and he saw in the distance a beautiful woman sunbathing. Her name? Bathsheba. It didn't matter to David, she was another man's wife, the wife of one of his great soldiers, Uriah. So he sent for her, he seduced her, her husband wasn't home, he was in battle at the time where David should have been. Let me pause a moment and defend Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets a bad deal out of this. David is king in the Old Testament. Kings had concubines and had wives. Kings were sovereign authority. They could do what they wanted because they could do it. They had money, they had power, they had unquestioned authority. And when a king told you to do something, you did it or you could be put to death. Talk about that. So when Bathsheba got summoned, uh, you're thinking in terms of our morality today and in the American culture. Don't think that way when you read the Old Testament, and it'll make a little more sense to you. Bathsheba really didn't have any, I don't know, she might have been real willing, but I'm saying she didn't have any choice. David's probably a good choice. I mean, the Bible says he is a good-looking young man. 
I'm looking at my wife to see how she reacts. <laughs> I don't want to call Uber for a ride home. I, 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 all right. So a few weeks after their encounter, Bathsheba informed David, uh-oh, I'm pregnant. And as I said, her husband Uriah, he's away from home engaged in battle. And David sent for him. When Uriah, he's going to try to cover this deal up. When Uriah got back to Jerusalem, David told him, you go home, have some food and wine, spend some time with your wife. Well, Uriah protested saying, that's going to be wrong for me to enjoy food and wine, security, safety, and my wife when my fellow soldiers are out there in battle. So he would not go home to Bathsheba. And David doesn't know what to do now. So he gave Uriah a sealed letter and says, you go back out to the battlefield and you deliver this to Joab, my commanding officer. And the letter gave instructions to this commander to put Uriah on the front line and then withdraw the troops away from him, ensuring that Uriah would be killed. This is, this is really interesting, a man after God's own heart. What is possible in every one of our lives is sometimes unimaginable. And if you don't know that, you're in wacky land. You are the person who knows in my flesh dwells no good thing is safer than someone who thinks, oh, that would never bother me. You're a wreck waiting to happen. Well, the commander followed the orders. Uriah's life was taken. So soon after now being a widow, Bathsheba was free to marry David. You know, a few months later, they had a child, a son that was born. David thought he had gotten away with this deal, but he's going to find out soon enough he didn't get away with it. And it led to a confrontation from one of the prophets, a friend of David named Nathan. And it led to a time of soul-searching, repentance, and ultimately incredible restoration. And during this time, David wrote Psalms 51. It contains some very personal words. So we'll look at some of these verses as we consider this. How to correct your self-inflicted drama, chaos, when you are the cause of it, whether intentionally or unintentionally. I doubt anybody here this morning commits the total same kind of sin David did, especially conspiracy to commit murder. Maybe our sins aren't as bad as his, but you can be sure of this. All of us, all of us have invited chaos into our lives at some time or another through our own stubborn, willful disobedience or ignorance, one or the other. And when you play games with sin, you're going to lose. It never fails. There's only one thing sin can do, wreck havoc and bring chaos. So Solomon said this, the wicked falls by his own wickedness. Proverbs 11, verse 5. He's saying sin brings about its own punishment. You've heard people say, God's going to get you for that. God didn't have to get you for that. Sin will get you on its own. When you sin, it inevitably leads to chaos. So, so what do we do about the chaos? I'll give you three simple steps we can all take, we all should take, and if you'll practice taking it, you can minimize drama and chaos in your life, and you can come back to a place of restoration and peace. Number one, confront the cause of the chaos. Gut, harsh, brutal honesty. Ask yourself, what created the mess that I'm in? Specifically, what did I do to contribute to this mess? In other words, where did I go wrong? See, the temptation all too often is to place the blame somewhere else 
on someone else. It's not my fault I lost my temper. You provoked me. It's not my fault I committed sexual sin. She tempted me. It's not my fault I got fired for insubordination. My boss is an idiot. And on and on and on. Refusing to acknowledge your role in your chaos ensures it will continue because nothing ever changes. We had a couple that wanted to get remarried. A couple of years they had been divorced. They wanted to be remarried. And I remember uh, Randy or Sandy Ross, one of them, made them write to him each a personal letter telling them what's changed in these years that you've been divorced. Knowing, I thought it was very wise because knowing that nothing has changed, the inevitable will occur again. You know, if you keep doing the same thing the same way, you're going to keep getting the same results. So what's changed? See, most people refuse to take responsibility for their life until they have exhausted every opportunity to blame someone else. That is a fact, especially in America. No fault divorce, no fault insurance, ain't nobody fault. Isn't that great? Somebody runs into you at 90 miles an hour, it's not my fault. That, that's the culture we live in. And boy, politically, dear God, nobody's at fault in politics. What a lying bunch of people. My gosh, I don't know if you're left or right, Democrat or Republican, but you're in trouble whichever side you're on. I, I wouldn't trust one of them in five minutes. Okay, Never, nevertheless, that's not a paid announcement. I just... It's just that I, I have no confidence in either one of them. So if you're in the middle of a mess, you need to ask yourself, what role did I play in this? If the cause of the chaos is my sinful disobedience, then I simply acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it. David said in Psalms 51, verse 3 and 4, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And that's why David began the psalm saying in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my own iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, you cannot unchaos your life until you're ready to own up to your responsibility in everything you're dealing with. The good news is that when you do own up to it, when you bring it to God and confess it, the Bible says He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Now, you still may have a mess to deal with, but now you can deal with it through the power and with the help of God Almighty. Now He will help you. It doesn't make the mess go away. Now it's solvable mess. You know, some, someone may say, my life is like a roller coaster right now. But it's not the result, listen to this, of willful disobedience. No sin here. It's because I made some choices I shouldn't have made. Choices that turned out to be not wise. I wasn't trying to do anything wrong. In fact, Rick, I was trying to do right, but I made a bad choice. Maybe I hired the wrong person. Ever do that? Maybe you should have done more on a background check or put a no-compete uh, clause in a contract hiring somebody. We've had business partnerships go bad, and somebody took the knowledge and the friendships and customers from that person and started their own business down the road. That's unethical. But if you didn't have a no-compete, there's not much you can do about it. Ah, but you can get smart. You can say, I really goofed that up, Lord. Now help me recover. Or, or it may be you didn't read the contract. 
A lot of people have told me about things they entered into and they didn't read the contract. Every contract we have at Summit for anything we build or do, we always submit it to our own staff of attorneys and our real estate attorneys to see if there's something in that small print we don't know, wouldn't have known, that will protect us or hurt us. And a couple of times they said, cross this out, cross this out, and that was a salvation. Now, you learn that from not crossing that out. <laughs> That's what you call experience and, and wisdom. Do you, can you understand the difference? There's my own sinful rebellion causes chaos, and what I don't know or making bad choices, maybe I didn't intend to, can cause drama and chaos. But what I can walk away with is wisdom so that doesn't happen again right? And when I acknowledge, Lord, I should have read that. Lord, I really goofed up on that. I didn't know any better about that. Then God's going to give you grace to overcome it and get out of this thing. He, he will help you escape that. But God can't help you if you can't admit you've got a problem or you're part of the problem, whether intentionally or unintentionally. That's really important. You know, maybe you made a wrong investment and it went bust. It wasn't intentional, but it really wrecked havoc in your life or finances. So the process for dealing with this is the same. You confront the cause of the chaos. You acknowledge your role in what's going on around you. I remember once a friend of mine's car was broken into. This was years ago when we had stereos. His stereo was stolen. His wallet was taken out of a glove compartment. Now, he could have blamed the police for not having his car on 24-hour surveillance. He could have blamed the building owner for not having better lighting. He could have blamed the criminal himself, but he finally had to acknowledge that of all the cars in the parking lot, his was the only one broken into, probably because he left it unlocked. <laughs> leaving your doors unlocked isn't a sin. It's just not wise. And leaving your valuables in it really unwise. So while he was canceling credit cards and standing in line at the DMV and dealing with the insurance company, he had to remind himself again and again, I played a role in all of this. I won't do that again. Okay, that's all right. Acknowledging your sinful behavior or your not-so-wise decisions is the first step toward creating a less chaotic future for yourself. Second step, there's only three, so you're in luck. Correct your course. Correct your course. In addition to asking where did I go wrong, we need to ask two more questions. What could I have done differently? What should I do differently now? And the answers to those two questions will be very similar. I could have locked my door when I parked in a dark parking lot in a bad neighborhood. It probably would have avoided this mess. In the future, I should always lock my car and remove valuables. See? maybe even park under a lighted area. When things start to get heated in a relationship and misunderstanding starts to escalate, maybe you could stop talking, start listening. Maybe you could have asked for a short break just to put a bridle on your temper. I mean, this has been going on for years. My God, when do you learn? When do you learn how to control what you have been having out of control until you said, wait a minute, I rode this horse before. That horse looks familiar to me. I'm not going to ride that horse this time. Ah, yeah. oh, there you go. Yeah. If you've been married any length of time, you better learn how to distinguish which horse you're going to ride and which horse you're not going to ride. <laughs> now, you might not be 
you know, you, you might not be dealing with major conflict in an important relationship, uh, and that's, that's a problem. In the future, you should do the same because hostility and tension in any relationship just isn't worth the price you end up paying. Yeah. And we've all done it. Yeah. yeah. Just don't keep doing it. When David had this encounter with Bathsheba, he, should have, he shouldn't have been home. Come on. He should have been on the battlefield with the boys. Here's what Scripture says. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all the Israeli army. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You know, as a military leader, David should have been with his troops. But David's having a midlife crisis. He's having, I don't know, he's just... He's just kind of lost it, you know. He bought a Ferrari or he got him a new motorcycle and rode off. You hear about it all the time. I don't know if it's a definite age, but it's a midlife somewhere. It could be 50 to 60. Who knows what it is. But sometimes it's something that happens to men. But he's at home. He's living in luxury. He's got all the money, all the power, and he's girl watching. I had to, I had to bring this up. Uh, I was a rock and roll guy. The guy that wrote I'm a Girl Watcher in the band called The Occasion. Some of you young people never even heard of it. I'll get you when we get home. All right. I'm not going to ride that horse. I'm not going to escalate this. But his name's Wayne Pittman. He wrote it. He was the guitarist. And then Wayne got saved and was in my youth group in South Carolina and was the guitar player. I just thought you'd want to know that. I could see how excited you are. But he wrote that song, I'm a girl watcher, I'm a girl watcher, watching girls go by, my, my, my. Now you can Google it and listen to it and say, Rick, tell me about that. That was his friend, Wayne Pittman. Okay. That'll get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks, probably. I don't know. And when David first saw Bathsheba from a distance, he could have he said, eh, I'm feeling a bit frisky too. I can call one of my own wives. And I said wives, plural, because he had many eight of whom are called by name, 200 concubines. David could have turned away, and he should have turned away, but he didn't. And here's what I'm saying. If you want to minimize chaos in your life, then you need to develop a path, a course, a strategy in advance for dealing with the temptation that really takes you down. Develop a strategy in advance for making a tough choice, a tough call, a tough decision. Decide beforehand, or you won't make it, how you're going to handle a given situation and stick to that plan. During a football game, if a team suddenly faces third and 12, the coach doesn't stand on the sideline scratching his head saying, third and 12, third and 12, what are we going to do? That's what the Cowboys do. <laughs> I keep hoping. No, he doesn't do that. The coach has a plan. He's got that plastic card with all the colors on it, you see. He's already got a plan in place for every possible down and yardage situation. And when 3rd and 12 comes up, he's got a guideline with option plays to run for 3rd and 12. Right, guys? He's got a plan. Now, if you know you... If you know that you have a fight with your wife every time she does X, Y, Z, then put a plan in place. I know Cindy's trigger points now, and I thought, I'm not going to bite, because when I bite, here's what's going to happen. It's happened many times. You learn that when you're young in marriage. You should, 
and I'm just not going to, I'm not going to bite that trigger point. I'm not going to go there. Well, guess what? No drama. No chaos. It's, it, I'm not getting any response, and I know, I know you know this is true. All of us married people know there are trigger points for a husband and a wife. And if you don't learn what they are, you're going to stay in chaos. You keep doing the same dumb thing every time she does this. Or say, I, could, I have to bite my tongue. I go quiet. I, could, I mean, I could demand that I'm right, and I was right. <laughs> but it's not going to pay off. <laughs> this is not a marriage seminar, okay? I'm, I'm not your guy. I'm just saying you, you could have the IQ of a potato and figure this out. Every time she does that, I do this, and all hell breaks loose. Well, then don't do it again. Somebody's got to get smart in this deal, and don't do it. And she's probably got me figured out pretty well after how many years? 46? 46. Last night I said 45. 46. Who knows? Doesn't seem a day over 50. If you have a history of making rash decisions, too quick. You signed the contract. You bought the product. You didn't get any advice. And he comes back to haunt you. Put a plan in place. Next time I feel pressured to make a major decision, too quick, here's what I will do. Perhaps one or two contacts, share, get a little bit of wise counsel from some of our seasoned economic people in here. Just, you still got to make the call, but maybe you haven't thought of something and it'll bring you down. Wait 24 hours and cool down. Quit jumping in too quick. Well, I wish I hadn't bought that. Well, it was an impulse buy. Most stores, particularly grocery stores, depend on men, not women, men, because we're impulse buyers, and they know that. It's not about, that's why you should never send your husband to the grocery store without a list. A list. That's it. Don't come home with any, no Oreo cookies, nothing. You just this. A grocery store would hate to hear me say that. But that, they depend. We men are impulse buyers, you know. If it's flashy, if it's got sparkles on it like a bass boat, we got to have it. <laughs> if you're, I told you I was feeling frisky today. I don't care. If your past behavior, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get some candles and light them so you religious folks feel better. I don't know. Okay, whatever we'll do. If your past behavior keeps creating chaos in your life. It's time to correct your course. Ask yourself, what could I have done differently last time? Okay. What should I do differently this time? And if you think it through and follow through, you're going to find those chaotic situations don't come up nearly as often and don't hang around as long. You'll get through it quicker and you'll have less to have to deal with. And boy, when you get older and marriage or whatever, it's nice to have pretty much peace. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. More volatility when you're young and immature. But if you're learning these lessons, you ought to be coming through them, you know, quicker yeah. and less often. Yeah. One more step that I want to encourage everybody to take. You confront the cause of the chaos, take responsibility. You need to correct your course. What will I do next time? How can I avoid repeating this same problem? And number three, create accountability. Now, this is for chaos self-induced. After David committed adultery and murder, 
the prophet Nathan came to him and rebuked him. And he told him the Lord was going to deal with him about his sin, and God did. Now, Nathan didn't just walk in off the street and just criticize David, confront him and scold him. He was a court prophet. He already had a relationship with David, a great one. He, he already had credibility and respect with David. So God used a man David trusted to confront him with his horrible sin. One thing David did right during this entire debacle is that he was willing to listen to the counsel of a godly man. Nathan's words got his attention, and David began the process of repentance. Each of us, every one of us today, needs some kind of an accountability partner or friend. In the areas that matter most, someone who can speak truth into your life when you most need to hear it, and you know this is proven love from somebody, this is not a stranger criticizing you. So how do you choose an accountability partner? How do you decide who will have the freedom to call you on the carpet when you need it? A couple of thoughts to look for, and we're through. Number one, you want a person of integrity, proven character over a long haul. Somebody whose life, for God's sake, is in order, not out of order. This is the most often the difference between those who offer wise counsel and those who are just meddling in your mess. If their own life is a mess, how are they going to help you in any way? Why would you get advice from somebody broker than the Ten Commandments if you're in a financial mess? I never understood that. Why would you get marriage counseling from Elizabeth Taylor? with nine marriages. That's just, Christians sometimes, I, I think, what drug are you on? I mean, you could be on cocaine and be smarter than this. How can they help you? They don't have any proven ability. Don't get advice about real estate, about finance, a home, or budgeting from people who don't have proven experience and stability. Don't get marriage counseling. Don't get child counseling from somebody that doesn't have, not perfect, but proven stability and experience. He that walks with wise people shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Paul says, listen to this, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6, 1. Uh, let me pause. Over the years, we've had some leaders get in, get in some chaos, some moral chaos. When it came to my attention, I called in two of their best friends. I mean, long-term best friends. I want you to go break the ice because he's comfortable with you. You have been long-term proven friends. It's best that you go. And they're going to be gentle. This is a friend they love. I'm going to be gentle. But that, to break that ice, that first shock, ought to be a friend. And it ought to be gentle. Did everybody hear that? It wasn't raising Cain and judgment. The whole idea, whatever you fail, God wants to restore you. You need to hear that. Don't run away from God. Run to God. He doesn't want to throw you under the bus. He wants to restore you. So choose an accountability partner who qualifies as spiritual, not religious, but spiritual. Somebody who's mature, somebody who walks the talk. Number two, choose a person committed to you. 
I'm talking about a person who cares more about your holiness than your happiness. Someone who's got the courage to say, this decision may make you a little unhappy for a little bit, but ultimately it's going to help you develop good character and be a little more like Jesus. And your ultimate character and holiness is a lot more important than your immediate happiness. You know, that's why King Solomon said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, you have no right to wound a brother or sister if you are not a proven friend. First, you're a friend. Then you have the right to be wounding. And that's not stabbing. It's not going on your social media, Facebook and Instagram, and slandering somebody because you don't know all the details. So the whole point was faithful are the wounds of a friend. I can receive it, although it hurts, from a friend because I know there's no agenda. I know there's no, ah, I got you. It's not. They're after my best well-being. And that's, if I come to you, it's going to be ultimately, I want you to do right. I want you to be successful. I want you to reach your potential. And so does God. And I'll show you how big that is in just a second. You need somebody who has the courage to say what might be difficult to say and very painful to hear. But you know their words are driven by friendship and loyalty and love. And third, you want to choose a person who's equally accountable to you. They respect your opinion as well and your perspective as you respect theirs. Solomon said, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another, Proverbs 27. So it's reciprocal in a relationship. This is not a person who says from a distance, this is what you need to do. No, this is a person committed to you and willing to say, hey, let's walk through this together. I'm not going to leave you. Let's get God's wisdom on the matter. Let's put his principles into practice and get you back on track without this constant turmoil. And let me tell you something. Everyone we've done that with, there's not been many, but everyone we've done that with is active in this church, solidly married, and doing really well. That's the good proof, right? That's the good proof. That you can have a comeback is what I'm trying to say. I want to be a church of grace, of inclusion, of mercy, but honesty. You need a good, strong confrontation. Hey, this is wrong. You need to correct this immediately. But a place of grace and mercy. Now, that kind of a person, you'd agree, they're kind of rare. They're few and far between. But just like God sent Nathan to David, I promise you, if you're open, God will send an accountability partner to your life. I once visited a friend who lived in the same house for 40 years. 40 years he's been spending his free time at home, tinkering with everything around the house, constantly making improvements here and there. And he was always busy with something. When weeds come, he'd pull them up. When a fire ant mound appeared, he'd put poison on it. When a fence needed to be mended, he'd mend it. If the garbage disposal went out, he'd call a plumber or he'd crawl under the sink with a flashlight and a wrench. It was a constant process of taking care of his home. And he's been doing it for over 40 years. And as a result, his house is comfortable. It's well organized, well cared for. It's increased in value. He's immovable. His home is the way we want our lives to be. It's constant day in, day out commitment for improvement. It's like if I take the dog out and I'm, I'm walking around the yard and I see a fire ant mound, I'm going to get poison on it. If I see a weed, I'm going to get it up. If I see an armadillo digging, I'm going to shoot him, and I will. I mean, if I see something broken, if I see something uh, that's, that's gone bad, needs repair, do it then. 
do it then. You can increase the value of your home and your life. So it's not a one-time forever. It's a daily process of correction, weeding, improvement, growing, over and over till you hit the grave. There's the only stopping point, and that's good to know. So it's a day-in, day-out commitment to resolve every chaotic situation that comes up as it comes up. Now, we're talking about chaos that we, we're responsible for. Next week, we'll talk about the chaos that comes from others. So anyway, this means that you lose, if you lose the battle with sin, you don't wallow in it. You confront it. You confess it, repent, and move on. When you make a mistake, a bad choice, an unwise decision, and it turns your life upside down, don't languish over it forever. Go about setting things straight and how you will do things differently in the future to protect yourself in business or in uh, relationships for the future. Ask yourself hard questions. Listen to the right people. Respond to the chaos with day-to-day obedience. You don't have to live your entire life like you're in the middle of a major hurricane. You know, where everything's out of order and you spend all your time trying to make sense of the mess. You can overcome the chaos, even the chaos you've created for yourself. That's the good news. You can do it when you confront it head on. Ask the right questions, honest, hard, listening to the right people, following up the right steps. You're going to get a restoration of stability and peace. Last thought. Do you know who Solomon's parents were? David and Bathsheba. Wow. Now, what does that tell you? After David messed up his life big time, he was able to restore the chaos. He sought forgiveness. He took blame. He sought restoration. He married Bathsheba. He gave her a son destined for greatness, King Solomon. That's amazing. God can take the most out-of-control situation, the most chaotic life, and bring it back to peace and stability. If you're in the middle of a chaotic moment in your life today, God can redeem that situation. His mercy is that big, and His grace is that strong. You don't have to live the rest of your life in a perpetual state of guilt, shame, and condemnation. God can help you get back on track. And by the way, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. That's important. You're still breathing. You've got unfinished potential. You can overcome the chaos, even the chaos you created for yourself. When you confront it head on, ask the right questions, listen to the right people, follow up with the right steps, and you're going to experience through the power of God a restoration of stability and peace. Hallelujah. That's good news. So hang on for the ride. Next week, we'll talk about chaos inflicted by others, and then we'll talk about chaos that comes just from the world around us. But this is the one that causes us the most problems, the ones we create for ourselves. But you can resolve it, and whatever you're in, it's not too bad for God to turn this thing around and take your mess and make a beautiful message out of it. And there's no one we can read about in the Bible that hasn't messed up. Nobody. All have sinned and come short. And so we've got redemption, restoration, and that's what I want our church to be, a place of restoration, of renewal, of grace, of transformation, a place of inclusion. I'm not here to guilt, shame, and condemnation. We do that to ourselves, and the enemy does that through people. What I want to show you is that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid a big price so that you could come back. And I want you back, and we want everyone back. 
Don't throw yourself away. Don't quit on God. He'll never quit on you. Hold on and take responsibility. Just don't blame other people for your mess, okay? You do have a part in self-inflicted chaos. Just say, I should have known better. I shouldn't have done that. Or I willfully did that. Or I didn't know that in business. Now I do. I'm going to come out of this mess stronger and smarter than I went into it. And I'll be a better man, a better woman. Amen? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.